of the fact that not in the book of Judges, but Lamentation says what is old, or not Lamentation, Ecclesiastes says what is old is new, what is new is old. There's nothing new under the sun. Yes, Solomon and Ecclesiastes didn't know about the internet or live streaming as we're doing. It's new in that way, but the principles, the foundation of all that we struggle with or all that we are tempted with isn't anything new. The specifics may be. That should be somewhat encouraging to us, especially as people of faith, that whatever may happen in the months and the years ahead, it is not new. It is old. It is the pages of scripture can teach us how to live out faithfully in those times. It may be new to us, but someone has gone on before us that we can learn from. Maybe because they got it right, but maybe also because it could be done differently. At the heart of wisdom is learning from others who do not have to go through the same pain and trouble that they have gone through. That's the beauty of not being the oldest child in a family. Because if you are younger, you get the lot. You can learn from Maya's mistakes if she ever makes one. Okay, she's made at least one or two, right? Yeah. All right. You know, Jordan, you can learn from your older brother's issues and struggles, right? But see, that's the hard part. We have to actually stop and look and go, I'm hungry to learn. Not because either of your siblings, Quentin or Jordan, are awful individuals. All right? What is interesting on both sides of the room, when I said that, they both looked in the direction of where their siblings would be with about the same look of. Uh -huh. Debatable some days. All right, but, but you have to be willing to learn and not just pass judgments, which can be hard. And I think that's important because in our world, we are asking this question, what is right? And as you either saw the question or you heard the question, some of you are already thinking of an answer. The reality is, is you don't know what way I'm asking of this, do you? I might be asking, what is right in the idea of, do you want red spaghetti sauce or Alfredo sauce? Which one's right? Larry, which one's right? Alfredo. Would anybody like to tell Larry he's wrong? Yes. Uh, <laughs> we have a showdown at FBC St. Paris, Miss Joyce Bowen in one corner, Larry in the other corner. We know who will win that one. <laughs> but what is right there? It doesn't really matter. Is Larry right? Yes. Is Joyce right? Yes. <laughs> she even says they're both good. All right, you've been spared. Yeah. And you can. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> but, but see, if we're too quick to try to answer, we don't even know the context of the question. Now, I, I ask it in this way. Where is salvation? There is one right answer. Salvation is only 
in Jesus Christ alone. Always been the answer, will be the answer today, and always will be the answer in the future. That doesn't change. Scripture unfolds all that. Not that the answer ever changed. The answer was always God. The answer was always a relationship with God. The answer was never a rule or a system, but right living as the people of God. Yet we find throughout Scripture this question, what is right? And it isn't always easy. We read in Judges 17, and if you're not there, open it up or put it on your phone, your tablet. Those of you at home, open another browser, uh, you know, or whatever you can do to read Scripture. But we read these words in um, Judges 17, 6. It becomes the refrain of these final chapters. In those days, Israel had no king. That's just a statement of fact. No one was really ruling over them. There was no sense of authority. Not saying we'll go there too much today. Sound like anything else? No sense of true authority. Who is in charge? Not the wife. Absolutely. And it goes on to say, because of no sense of who really is in charge, no sense of who gets to have a say. The nation of Israel had forgotten one thing: that the Lord was their ruler. That he is the answer. And when we start to forget that, this next thing, everyone did as they saw fit according to the NIV or a way to do it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So every question of what is right became a matter of very similar to, is it Alfredo or red spaghetti sauce? And just like tonight or today, Larry ain't going to fight Joyce over which one's right. You know, but sometimes they would start to fight. What is right in my own eyes? The, the, the Judge Samson. Whatever was pleasing in his own eyes was what had to be. And when that happens, we find ourselves desperate individuals. When it happens to other culture, we find that culture and that nation, whoever they may be, desperate. Desperate people lead to desperate circumstances which just lead to a lot of desperation. We might be there. Not we necessarily as a church, but we as individuals. You may find yourself in desperate situations. I have. It's kind of almost the way of life. You will sooner or later be in a desperate situation where you have to decide something. We, as a nation, as a world, that may be happening. That may be present. And, and what we need to understand is without the strong foundation of Scripture, without the strong foundation of who Jesus is, it can set in desperation. Now, not all desperation is bad. We see in Scripture, there can be a desperation that leads you to who Christ is. The nation of Israel, at times when they saw how desperate it was, they turned to Christ, to God. We read the wonderful words of Solomon's prayers in 2 Chronicles 7. That if my people will call upon my name, and what started is 
in the time of desperation, when things happen that don't, when there's famine, when there's war, when life isn't good, if in the desperation we will turn to God, God will hear. That's the hope we sung today. That's the hope for what we see in Judges 17, 18, and we will continue to see in 19, 20, and 21, is that the choice of the nation of Israel, the choice of you and I, is when we are desperate, where are we going to turn to? They never turn to the Lord to meet their desperation. Well, we start out in these chapters with a man named Micah, who uh, took from his mother, we don't know what, left her in a pretty bad state. Maybe his father died and he just kind of wanted to protect his mom. Very possible. All we know is from what we read is he goes to mom and says, hey, um, the shekels that you thought were stolen from you, I'm the one who had them the whole time. Well, what happened is because of the desperation of his mom, she pronounced a curse upon whoever took them. Desperate people in desperate circumstances will do pretty desperate things. Alright? You know, he only knows this because he heard the curse. And his mother says, the Lord bless you, my son. Kind of trying to undo her desperation. But what we see as it goes on, that, uh, you know, the mother gets back to her, right? But then, because of their desperation spiritually, they start on a bad path. They consecrate it to the Lord, and then they go, well, who is the Lord? So they make this ephod, which is a way of, of, of seeing what God wanted, or an image. They overlay it. He had other household gods. He... Uh, installed one of his own kids as a priest. We get this idea that spiritually Micah becomes this uh, example that Israel is desperate spiritually to be in right relationship. They're just turning to the gods of the land. The question you and I may need to ask this morning is are we in our spiritual desperation are we looking to idols around us instead of looking to the Christ who conquered the idols? Very fitting is in, in Judges 16 when Samson gets kind of revenge. The showdown there is who truly is God? Is it the God of Israel, Yahweh, or Jehovah as we say? Or is it the God, that God of the Philistines? And the writer of Judges in the destruction of the temple and the destruction of of the Philistines to begin there is boldly proclaiming there are no other gods but God. But yet here, the nation of Israel are forgetting the lesson of Sinai, that the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God called you out of, his, out of Egypt. Serve him only. He's desperate. What about you? Are you desperate for the Lord? I don't think Michael realized how desperate he was. I don't think sometimes we realize how desperate we are. 
So we go looking for other things to meet our needs, to fill that spiritual desperation. Yet he's not alone. No surprise, the next character is a Levite. An establishment of the religious system, of, of being in right relationship. However, being a Levite was not easy. Of all the tribes of the nation of Israel, the Levites had no town to call their own. They had no inheritance but the Lord. And they were dependent upon the people of Israel to provide their needs. A pretty desperate situation. And if the nation of Israel is forgetting who they are in God, that they are God's chosen people, then the servants of God are going to be taken advantage of. They're going to left wondering. And so we have the story of this Levite that I believe is desperate financially and for just livelihood. He just wants to be able to live okay. That's why the, the idea of Micah coming to him and saying, hey, become my priest. I want to submit to you. I want you to be like a father figure. I want to know the ways of the Lord. That's the purpose of the Levites. They were scattered among the nations so they could know the ways of the Lord. Because they weren't close to Shiloh, where the Lord was, where the tabernacle was. And he goes, and, and, and Micah gives him a pretty good offer, basically an offer he could not refuse. But later on, another clan, the Danites, are going to come up, and they're going to make an even better offer that the priests will not refuse. The issue is when we become desperate financially, we become desperate to have the life that we think we ought to have. We're always chasing the next best thing. And we will do whatever is right in our eyes to do it. Maybe this is why Jesus said pretty forcefully, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, the livelihood that we may have, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Do not worry about he who can fill your body, you later go on to say, but be worried about he who handles eternal life in his hands. It's not that finances are bad. Back to the book of Timothy. doesn't say uh, money is the root of all evil. Says the love of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with necessarily wanting more money. But when you become desperate there, you will do things that you would not normally do. What is right now becomes a different answer. Fortunately, we aren't left there. Our desperation, even God can, can work in our desperation. Even God can show up. Our third desperate individual that may represent you and me is the group of the Danites. They are desperate for security and peace. Read uh, what it says in, in verse in chapter 18. Uh, five men go out to look for a new one. In, in 18.7 it says, So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and security. 
and the fact that their land lacked nothing. They were prosperous. And the fact that they were a long way off from the Sidonians. That's where the Danites were close to. And the, Dan the Sidonians weren't letting them live at ease. So they go looking for different things. They're desperate for security and peace. We may find ourselves in a very similar situation. We want the security. We want the peace. We're tired of fighting. Yet if we're not careful, in our desperation, we will cause actually unrest and chaos. In my opinion, the opposite of peace. When we rest for any of these things, if we are not careful, we will undo everything that we seek. We will answer the question of what is right in our own eyes. And we will, on attention, miss what we are seeking. Because desperation may lead to destruction. If you've been reading through the book of Judges with us, you may be an astute observer that you read starting in verse or chapter 17, there is no longer any indication of a foreign power or ruler that is causing the nation of Israel distress. You see, the Sidonians are kind of there, but there's no, it's not that they were necessarily being harsh to the Danites. The Danites just haven't been obeying God in some and in their desperation, what happens is the nation of Israel turns on one another. They fight their own people. No longer is the enemy from without, the enemy is within. And, and, and this is what happens in our day as well as what happened in verses 9 and chapter 18. Then the Danites answered them, come on. Let's attack them. They're going to fight their own brother and sister, but this isn't just a, uh, a sibling rivalry that has no consequences. This is a destruction. So they go. And, and they did offer Micah, because he's wanting to uh, just be, exist. He goes. I find it interesting when, when the Danites are asked, what are you doing? Their response in verse 25 and 26 is, don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and just bite you and you'll end up like a rat. Huh. Don't question me. Or you may get hurt. Whereas, one of my kids, and I'll let you figure out which of the three, likes to say, respect my yes. Instead of respect my no, it's respect my yes. If you don't do this, I will. Maybe the smallest of the three, but sometimes it's the mightiest of the three. But we can get this way. In our desperation, we will say, either you're going along with me, or I will humiliate you. What is right in my eyes better, you better be okay with that. But if you're not okay with that, at least don't tell me what you think. And what I've seen in our world of Christendom 
is sometimes, unfortunately, the old saying is the church shoots its wounded. See, what I, what I find interesting about the book of Judges, what I find interesting about the history of the nation of Israel is the same as the history of the church. What, when God says these things, he's not asking the world, those outside of a relationship with him, to do these things. He's saying, this is the state of those on the inside, that you, it's me, that in our desperation as the people of God, we may lead to destruction. We may shoot our wounded. We may destroy our fellow brothers and sisters. And I believe that grieves deeply the heart of our who pray that we would be one as he is one. So what is our solution? Where do we turn? In our desperation, where do we go? No surprise, I've already indicated this. In our desperation, it will only be conquered and filled in Christ. We sing the song. So we fix our eyes on the one who overcame. In my desperation, I can't look at Pastor Paul and hope he's going to meet my need. He might until I find something wrong with him. Or vice versa. Until he finds something wrong with me. I can't look to Pastor Ron, who has a great deep knowledge of Scripture, and hope he will always lead me on the right path. He will. He's not going to intentionally lead me astray, but what happens if my belief is based on his views and he changes his mind? Which he's allowed to do. Ron is not Jesus, he's not unchanging. Then I'm left in another desperation. But if I can put my desperation at the foot of the cross, if I put my desperation on Jesus, he is unchanging. Scripture says he is the beginning and the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when I put it there, I can trust it is taken care of. My problem, your problem, the church's issue is that we take it back from Jesus and we try to fill our desperation in other ways like Micah, like the Danites, like the Levites. And we're left in the end with destruction and despair and hopelessness and the list to go on. But God will minister to us in our desperation if we're willing to let in our devotions that I hope to post online in a little bit, that's on the back of your uh, note-taking paper, we read two stories in 2 Kings about desperate individuals with the prophet Elisha. And God shows up in desperation. God shows up when people are open. And so we have hope. We can allow Christ to come in. So the question is not what is right. That, that can be a good question. We might want to start there. The better question is this. What is right in God's eyes? When I first came here, I tried something that didn't stick. Well, I tried many things that had to stop. Some of them be not to stop. One of the things that uh, I tried to do and, and we did it pretty well for a couple times, but then we just kind of reverted back. Nothing against our moderator, Larry. 
you know. But in our business meetings, we ask the question, all those in favor? I believe that's a good question, but that's not the best question. The question is, is all those who believe this is God's will, say it all. Why? Because I might think something is good, but it doesn't mean Jesus says, I ought to do that. In his book, uh, Becoming a Blessed Church, in Grand Standish, his book is entitled Becoming a Blessed Church, Forming a Church of Spiritual Purpose, Presence, and Power. Is the reason I want us to think of that question at our business meetings. Our business meetings isn't just where if a majority of us can say yes to something, we do it. Our business meetings are meant to discern the will of God, so we ask ourselves, is this God's will for our church at this time? Which means we may do something that may not make sense to those outside, for some of us inside. It may be a great idea, but if we don't believe the Lord says yes to it, we will say no to it. And that's the question for you and me. What is right for God's eyes? The world isn't going to ask this question. It's incapable. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But we are the people of God, amen? We have the Spirit of God in us, amen? I mean, if we are in Christ, we have the Spirit of God in us. This is our question. What is right in God's eyes? Which means there are times we will say no to good things because we are saying yes to Christ things. Paul said everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Or as the treasurer would say, everything is permitted, but not everything is reimbursable. Okay? That's our question. What is right in God's eyes? And I will tell you, if you want to know the answer to that, maybe you don't. Because I'll be honest, answering this question makes it hard sometimes to live. It's not always clear cut. That's why we do this together. Your first task and your task every day is submit to Christ. I must die to myself every single day. Actually, more times throughout the day. I must realize that when I get this pool to what the security that the world can offer that i got to step back and go, is this what God wants today? And it very well may be yes. God doesn't necessarily want you to be poor and homeless, though he may. And what he may want to be doesn't mean he wants the same thing for you. Unless you're church man. And then we don't get a choice. My road of life may not be yours. But we are all called to submit to Christ. I ask that you do that today. And when you submit to Christ, you will find life and life everlasting. You will find that whatever may happen in our world in the next years, plus, that you will have peace, not in this world, but you will have peace in the Prince of Peace, Christ himself. That whatever happens in the world, you will have the security of knowing that you have an inheritance in heaven. That cannot perish, according to Paul in Ephesians. We need to go back to Ephesians probably every year. I won't, we'll get bored with it. But if we see who we are in Christ, 
And it's easier to say yes and submit to Jesus than it is to say yes and submit to the world. And in so doing, unintentionally or intentionally, make an idol. And then we will find when we are in desperate circumstances, we have a God who specializes in rescuing people out of desperateness, into hope, into love, into joy. And that happens when you and I say, today, I submit to my Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ. And we do it together. We pray with me.